I want to echo what, uh, what Mike just shared with us, uh, just my joy uh, in being with you on this third night, uh, especially tonight as I uh, look at uh, you tonight and see uh, married couples together. I think I've anticipated this night probably more than the first two, not simply because uh, it's been a real gift to be with you, but uh, just the privilege to speak to those of you who are here either with um, your whole family or maybe your your kid or kids, uh, but to, to at least have a shot uh, to, to stand before you uh, and to behold married couples, my heart just uh, soars with a lot of joy tonight. So I uh, want to echo what Father Mike just said about uh, my anticipation of sharing a message with you tonight uh, for families, especially those who are home and who are watching this together as a family. I uh, want to also echo uh, what he, uh, he just offered us, which is just a real summary of where we have been so far uh, this week. We have um, talked honestly about the fact that there is not only a God who is searching for our hearts, but there is another one who is searching for ways uh, to distract us and to bring us down uh, from what God wanted. And when I think about that, I think about the song that we just sang, and um, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, a few families particularly that I am holding in my heart in intercession tonight. And I want to speak right off the bat uh, just a word of hope uh, that comes from deep inside my heart and my grief. If there's any husband or wife tonight, and you are either listening uh, in our presence now or are listening online, and you do not believe that the God who made a highway out of an ocean can do something in your marriage tonight. I want to stand before the blessed sacrament inside that tabernacle right now on your behalf that you would actually believe that God can do something in your marriage. Amen. I also want to stand convicted tonight that the God who, he was the God of the mountain and who's the God of the valley. If you believe that there's something going on in your family with your children, and you just don't have hope, you think that either, either all is lost or you've lost touch with them, or you just think raising kids is too much in today's world, I want to stand before God tonight, believing in the power of that God, and declare that God can work miracles inside your family. Amen? So as we hear a message tonight, we go right into it, and I just want to speak to a grief that I believe is inside a lot of marriages and a hopelessness, which may be in a lot of families, and say, I'm standing on the message of Jesus Christ tonight, and I'm going to believe that God can do a lot more than we could ever ask or imagine. Amen? Let's kind of jump right in where we've been together, right? We're going to jump right into it. Monday night, for those of you who were here, I want to remind you, for those of you who weren't here, maybe you were interceding for your husbands or for your fathers. Maybe you watched it online. Where were we on Monday night? We talked about the spiritual attack that happens inside a man's life. And we used mission identity relationship as a paradigm for us to kind of paint that conversation. And we said that um, while our world is drawing men into an emphasis on mission first, then identity, and then relationship, the attack is that we never question whether or not that, that could be another way. And we presented, right, relationship, identity, mission as the invitation that God has for men. Specifically, what we, uh, we zeroed in on that night, which I thought was a really beautiful part of our evening, is that when a man knows whose he am, right, he knows who I am. When I know whose I am, I know who I am, right? So uh, when our inordinate uh, focus is on our mission in life, then a man will often define himself by what he does or how well things are going in his life. And we said that the invitation for every husband and for every father was for us to allow the Lord to be the most important relationship in our life. And when God is the most important relationship in our life, then our identity is focused on God and God alone, which gives us the courage to have the, the honest conversation with ourselves about our priorities. Uh, men, I want to remind you that for many of you, this was the point of the night where the Lord like spoke most to you right? These four priorities. And we said that um, when we are living in a proper order in life, right? Our focus is first on being a disciple of Jesus Christ, then being the best husband that we can possibly be, then being the best father we can be and the best provider we, we can possibly be. For the mic, you want to grab that microphone actually right now all over again. 
right? So this was the point of the night as we were listening to men last on, on, on Monday night that made the biggest impact. And, and Father Mike, I just want to put you on the spot, if I can. Uh, grace moment for you on Monday night. What was it like for you Monday night um, as a pastor who stands before fathers and husbands and men um, who had desires for this, this week to happen? When you think about Monday night, knowing that I didn't give you any chance on purpose to think about that ahead of time, um, what, what stays with you from Monday night? What, what, what are the memories? You stood before countless men with the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, you, you went to them on behalf of Jesus Christ as a priest of Jesus Christ. You listened. What, what stays with you from Monday night? Yes, the, the simplicity of um, men wanting more. Um, we had a great turnout. I mean, and it's not about numbers, but it's the fact that men came and they prayed and they had confidence that there was more that God wanted to give them. Um, and, and, they, and they came just kind of, some of them stoic and nervous. And I was invited by so-and-so and my wife may become, but at the end of the night, we were all here um, singing and praising the Lord uh, with either confidence that God is going to provide or an experience of God having provided that night. So it was beautiful, uh, especially at the end, to be singing with a group of 120 men. Uh, the, the song was, uh, this is how I fight my battles. Mm -hmm. And so to hear men like singing that and, and like knowing that we were actually meaning what we were saying. Mm. It was, it was beautiful. Praise God. So that was Monday night. So for our, our, our wives, for our moms, for the ladies, you weren't here with us. Perhaps you weren't with us either in person or even, of course, online. That's where we were on Monday night. Last night, for, uh, for those of you who were with us last night, you may remember that we kind of flipped the script and we talked about this beautiful photograph. Can ladies, we have an all? Ladies night. It was ladies night. It was ladies night. It was ladies night. Absolutely. And we talked about um, the beauty of this photograph. Father Mike, for those of us who weren't with us, uh, explain the photograph all over again for us. Yes. Uh, we were fishing in Lake Charles on uh, Big Lake. And uh, my beautiful nephew, that's my nephew, um, he was four and a half at the time. And uh, we were on our way to go crabbing. And uh, he was just getting tired. And I just kind of brought him in close. And he fell asleep on my chest. And that was just me enjoying... Uh, him not fighting my love and just letting me take care of him. It was just really fun. Yes, absolutely. It was a good day. The grace for me last night was being able to, uh, at that point of the talk, being able to curl up on your chest and rest there also. Yeah. So you, just I figured, kidding. I figured, you'd, I figured you'd bring that. That's up. right. That's right. <laughs> Men, if I can get your attention for a second, I want you to look at this, this photograph. All the guys, look at the photograph. I'm going to say something that um, may sound overly dramatic, but stay with me. Regardless of how hard it is for you professionally, and I know that there's a lot of pressure on men professionally. And regardless of what it's, what it's like to manage and juggle everything, the hardest thing in the world for a man is to be a man where your wife, regardless of how she feels, would feel that safe with you at every moment of her life. Your job as a husband, I miss all the other things that I, I know you feel you have to provide, is to provide a space where she would feel that safe with you. Your job as a dad is to provide a space where your kids, regardless of how old they are, would feel that safe with you. Because that's how the feminine heart is wired. 
Last night we talked about as we were talking about God's design of the feminine heart, we used three words last night, security, maturity, purity. And we said that a, the feminine heart desires to be seen, desires to feel safe, and desires to be and feel special. The feminine heart in God's design is designed to be free to, to just to be who she is without any judgment. The feminine heart is most alive and most free when she's free to play. And the feminine heart is most alive when she's free to connect with other women, with other people, but to feel connected. And when women feel uh, seen and safe, when women feel secure, when women are free to be who they are, then their desire is to give their heart completely, to give their, their, their lives, their bodies completely, and to give of themselves in service. And so last night, as we talked about the reality of spiritual attack and how there's an attack upon the feminine heart in all of those things, we said that women can't turn off the longing for security. The feminine heart wants to be safe. The feminine heart wants to be viewed and seen with purity. We can't turn off the longing for security, and sometimes there's a fatigue from the longing in the feminine heart. And I thought there was a beautiful moment last night as we used the image of how the feminine heart and the masculine heart protect themselves. For some of the guys tonight, this actually might be an aha moment for you. Like we, we, we said last night, let, let's just pretend that this is something sacred. Could be a person. I want us to imagine that this is a person. The feminine heart and the masculine heart protect differently. Instinctively, the feminine heart, if this is someone sacred and there's a threat coming, the feminine heart's going to protect like this. And the masculine heart is usually going to protect like this. So the feminine heart is going to fall into, going to go into, and the masculine heart is going to confront to go through, right? But in this spiritual attack, the feminine heart sometimes feels like this, where the feminine heart, she feels like she has to protect herself, right? And so if that is, you might say the, the tactic of the enemy, then the invitation for uh, all of them last night was to allow the Lord to see them, to know that they're not alone, so that God could be with them. Father Mike, last night, grace moment of the evening. Yeah, I would, um, I would say after the, the, the giggling that happened over wine, um, the play, we talked about play, and there was a, um, I, I had nothing to do with it, but I invited uh, the 340 women that were here last night. I said, hey, you don't have to go home. Your husband's got everything taken care of. We have some wine outside waiting for you. you no rush. Go outside. Just hang out. Enjoy each other's company. And there was like a giggle. We went outside, and they were just like, I should be feeling guilty, but I'm not feeling guilty because Father Mark told me I don't have to feel guilty. And I, they were just playing. They were just playing outside, just enjoying each other's company. And I knew it was fruit of whatever was experienced here. And they were in no rush to go home. Just, um, it was beautiful. It was, there was a level of freedom that was beautiful. Apparently we said that with a bobblehead too, because you kept doing this the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you better get them in while you can. Just get them all in. Just get them all in right here. Get out of here. Get them all in. <laughs> all right, so that's where we've been. We had an awesome night on Monday night. We had a beautiful night on our Tuesday night. And tonight, as we're talking about families, right, if there's an attack on men, if there's an attack on women, that means there's an attack on families. Amen? And the fact that you're here means that you're open to that. And please, God, that we could just um, live inside the prayer that we prayed just now to be open to God. And as you're listening tonight... I would ask that we would have the courage to listen from the place in life where we are. So, so, so sit in the message tonight as we talk about families in your family. And sit in that place where we think about what it's like for 
for you as a husband, for you as a wife, or for those of you who, who are um, either not married, to maybe think about families uh, that you know of, or to think about your future spouse or your future families. For those of you who are, who are kids who are here, think about your own family tonight. Let's pray, right? How do families experience spiritual attack? We jump right in tonight. I'm going to offer something for us to think about. Three Ps. Pace, presence, and priorities. Many ways that families are being attacked right now spiritually, but the three words that came to my heart as I was praying for us tonight and as I just reflected upon my experience of countless conversations with families and my personal experience as a father of a family and thinking about the ways that I have been attacked as a spiritual father of a spiritual family, right? There's three words that we look at tonight. Pace, presence, priorities. Let's say those three words together. You ready? Pace, presence, and priorities. One more time. Pace, presence, and priorities. There are many things that influence the health of a family. However, if we are healthy in these three things, we are more likely to have a healthy and protected family. Where's the attack in today's world? It's in the pace, the presence, and priorities that we never question. I think it dawned on me, even this afternoon, as I was reflecting upon the notes all over again, it's not simply that there's an attack on, on the pace of life, or our ability to be present to each other and present to the present moment. And it's not that there's an attack on priorities. I think the real attack is that most families don't even question it anymore. I think the real attack is, okay, the world's living at this pace. Is there another option? I think the attack is, is there another option to screens? I mean, is there another option to priorities? The, the attack is when we don't even question whether or not what we have in our experience could be anything different. And so I want to acknowledge that for some of us, the rub tonight actually might be the doubt that there could be any other way. Let's start with peace. Five things that I'd like us just to consider about the, just the attack that many of us feel inside the pace which with we live our lives. The first is hard work often leads to, to playing hard, right? Uh, I, I wonder if we are aware of when we work so hard, when we're constantly rushing, when the intensity of our professional lives is such, if we are aware of how sometimes we simply project that same pace of Monday through Friday on to Saturday and Sunday. If the human heart never has time to rest, if when we're off, we're always on, and I'm not just talking in the busyness of, of kids being kids and things like that, but I'm not talking when, when there is an inordinate pace, when we never have time to rest, then we will be more likely to grasp. Like the human heart, it, it was made for rest. The human heart, every human being on the planet has the same architecture of their soul. And in the beginning, when God created all things at the beginning, God created the Sabbath because the human heart was made for rest. And when there's not a natural space for rest, what happens to the human heart? You can swim, but the human body was not made to live underwater. And at some point, instinct 
will bring you to the surface and you will gasp for air. And when we live too fast, I wonder if, if many of us know what it's like that we're gasping for rest in, in all kinds of ways, right? So when we, when we are living off at the same pace that we're living on, then the pace with which we live our life is going to eventually come up to us, right? So there's a difference between recreation and recreation. And here's one of the indicators that we're living life too fast. We are always ready for the next diversion. See, in South Louisiana, this is real easy for us, right? So here we are, we find ourselves in Lent right now. Lent is a time where, where we can usually kind of try to reset things, but here comes Easter. Right after Easter, it's the summer. Sometimes the summer is just one trip after another, or it's every weekend somewhere. And I say this with great reverence, so please hear the fact that I love you enough to say that it's just one travel baseball weekend after another, and one travel soccer weekend after another, and one travel this after another. And there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but when do we breathe? And that takes us into the fall, where it's one football game after another, it's one this after another. And that takes us into Thanksgiving, and then we just shop our way all the way to Christmas. And after Christmas in South Louisiana, we get ready for Mardi Gras. And after we get ready for Mardi Gras, we all put on our ashes and we exhale for Lent. And then we do the same thing over and over. If your life is one vacation after another trip, after another destination all over again, my question for you is what are you really looking for? If you're thinking about next weekend when you're wrapping up the current weekend on Sunday night, ask yourself, what are you looking for? Right? There's a difference between recreation, constantly seeking in the excitement of the moment versus recreation. That which actually restores us to a sense of peace. I love you. Does everybody have to be playing professional sports in first grade? But Father Mark, he's really good. He could be a professional football player. He's not, trust me, okay? He's just in first grade and bouncing around with a helmet on, right? I'm just throwing up the question, not because I have anything against organized sports. I'm throwing up the question because I fear that young families today don't even think about, could there be another option? Because now what's happening is the pace from nine to five is now accelerated from five to 8 p.m. It's not that there's anything wrong with piano, and it's not that there's anything wrong with soccer, and it's not that there's anything wrong with football. But when do you rest? When did we discern it? My question is, whatever happened to being a kid? And I'm not saying that everybody has to go back to the good old days. I'm not going to pretend that we can go back to the way that things were. But my fear is that we are losing something that was in God's design, which is the joy of being young. Now, for many of our teenagers and those who are even younger than that, um, that joy of freedom has been stolen by screens. We'll talk about that in just a couple of seconds. But when is there the time just to explore creativity? When is there the time just to experience the freedom of being free? And I say this with great love, like I even, as I look at my own nieces and nephews who I love dearly, man, I don't, I don't remember the end, that taxed and stressed when I was their age. And I'm not saying that I had it any better and they have it worse. And 
like I understand that things are different. But what concerns me is that we don't even think about could be it be another way. Statistically, you can look at it. Statistically, can you? I mean, the, the data is there. Are young people happier or less happier today than they were 20 years ago? Well, you said to me, well, Father Mark, you're not a parent. You're not raising kids today. There's no other option. And that is where the attack is. Like there's no other option. Really? Father Mark, society is changing. Of course it is. There's somebody tell me where we're going. And is there any evidence that the direction that we're heading as a society has been thought out by somebody who's intelligent and give me evidence that the trajectory is going to lead to a better humanity? Hey, I'm not saying that, that, that where things were 20 years ago was absence of error or sin. I'm just asking that we actually critically discern the trajectory of society or culture or the the nation that we're raising our kids in now if you're if you listen deep inside your heart you can actually hear the voice of well father mark that's just too big i can't fight that there's no other option We haven't even gotten to the next two words. I'm just talking about the pace we, which we live our life. Is there anything in here that is outside your personal control? And here's the attack on families. Every family in here and every family watching has absolute control over these five things. We haven't even gotten into the hard stuff. And for many of us, there's, always, there's already the defeat of, well, there's no other way. which is part of the attack on most of our families. The pace with which we live our lives. Now let me plant a question out there. For those of us who have the courage to access memory, I want you to think about when you were happiest in your family. I want you to think about that right now. When were you happiest in your family? Now, you might need more time for that. But when were you happiest in your family? You ready? I bet it's when your family was living at an exhausted pace. When you were just, you were, you were in this, in, in, like compulsive grasping at one trip after another. Of course it wasn't. Make a bet that for most of us, when you think about the time when you were happiest as a family, I think about when I was happiest as a family, it's not when I was complaining about hand-me-downs from my mom and my dad and my brothers and sisters, right? When I think about the times that I was happiest inside my family, it's usually when we had the freedom to exhale and pick on each other. Now, I know that times have changed and things are different, but my happiest memory inside my family came at 6 o'clock every night around a dinner table. Now, I'm number five of six. We have three boys and three girls in my family, and we sat down at 6 o'clock. We inhaled the food by 6.02. It was all gone, Right? And if you threw a hand in there to get an extra piece of chicken, I actually might eat your knuckle on the way out, all right? But we stayed at the dinner table because we had to have quality time and talk to each other. And it was so awesome. When was your family happiest? I just want you to think about that. Because when the pace of families is compromised or too fast, then the attack gets deeper. Again, you're going to see the next screen, and you're going to say, Father Mark, there's no other option, which is part of the attack. 
for the men, I, I, sh I shared with you Monday that I would share this with you again. This comes from a great book where he talks about the tension inside a man's heart about spending time away from home because he's working and actually spending time at home. Let me just say right now, I am not silly enough to believe that you have all the time in the world, right? Men can't spend all the time at home that they want and, and get everything done at work that they want. But Andy Stanley says this, when dads, we could actually put moms in there also, so let's just call it parents. When parents spend too much time at work and not enough time at home, they abandon a, a role or a rule or a trapeze, whatever that is going to be. That's what happens when you type fast, right? When you're living at the wrong pace, right? And one more time. When they spend too much time at work and not enough time at home, they abandon a role that only they can feel or fill. Right here, right? Our, my spelling skills are on display here. Okay, back to that slide over there. <laughs> And choose one and almost anyone can. Okay, here's the thing. You're the only mom or dad that they have. That's it. And I'm going to bank on the fact that God knew what he was doing when he created a mom and a dad. So when, we, when, when, when the circumstances of life either projected upon us or chosen by us, even if it's hidden to us, are such that we abandon the role at home to raise our kids so that we can fill a role professionally that almost anybody can do. The question is, who's raising your kids? Now, this is where it gets hard. This is where people look at me and say, Father Mark, you don't have to raise kids. I don't. Then I ask people, you want to try to raise the number of kids that I face in my family every Sunday? My family faces the same struggles that your family does. I just have a lot more kids than most people do. Amen? Okay, for those of you who are watching on, at home, let me clarify that. I meant my parish, not my actual biological kids. Let's clarify that. Phones and screens are killing families. Say that out loud with me. Phones and screens are killing families. One more time. Phones and screens are killing families. I'm not going to ask you where your heart is when you see that. But I will ask you this. Do you think your family would be healthier, holier, and more connected if you actually claimed the screens? It can be a phone. It can be a TV. It can be a computer or a laptop. My concern in the attack, we're talking about the attack this week, is that the attack is who's on the other side of the screen. When it comes to your kids going into their room at night and closing the door with all the filters that you might have on the phone, if you even have filters on our phone, or, or, or all the commercials that are coming through the TV or, or, or whatever it is, are you absolutely convinced as a parent of the amount of influence through the screen? I can't quote the source, but I remember reading that by the time that an average person hits kindergarten, they have seen two million commercials. You might say, well, Father Mark, there's no other way. And that's part of the attack. Now, for those of you who are watching through a screen, I'm going to let Father Mike talk about that at the end. For those of you who are watching through a screen, there's nothing in and of itself that is objectively evil about a phone. And there's nothing in and of itself that is objectively evil about a screen. Where the attack is, is when we think, well, there's no other way. Where the attack is, is when I'm living my life in such a pace that life is just too hard. And as a parent, I want to escape. Then rather than come home and get into the messy life of my kid, the attack is, hey, son or daughter, 
I tell you what, you just lose yourself in a screen because I need to lose myself in a screen. That's where the attack is. The attack is, hey, I don't have answers for the questions that you have, so I'm going to lose myself in a screen. Go get the answer through a screen. But it would be interesting... Do we really think our families are healthier because of all the screen time? Right, so what's needed is we're gonna have to rediscover the art of living. I remember having conversations with people right when COVID happened this time last year. This is the third week of Lent. It was the third Sunday of Lent last week and last year in the Diocese of Homo Thibodeau where we canceled masses. Same thing here in the Diocese of Lafayette. And I remember talking to people when COVID first hit. Folks were working from home and they were rediscovering time with their kids and they were riding bikes together. And I remember at the beginning of COVID, people saying, you know what? We're going to have to just rediscover like our family. We're going to have, we're going to have family night at the dinner table. And I can't tell you how many times my heart broke when I heard moms and dads say, yeah, we started to try to have dinner together. And then I realized I don't know how to talk to my kid. So we just stopped. In the grief that's in a parent's heart or the grief that's in the heart of a child, when we feel the tension at the dinner table, we're going to offer some solutions at the end of the night tonight, but I want us to feel where the attack is. Because part of the attack is the grip that's on a parent's heart of, I just feel trapped, there's no other way. Right? So it starts with pace and then it's presence. Are we really present to each other? Now, I don't have my phone with me tonight. Let's just imagine that this is a phone. How many times have we been together with somebody and you're, 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 you're talking to them, whatever you're talking about, and you're doubting whether or not they're really present to the present moment with you? And here comes the ding on the phone. Ding! And they go there. What's the signal? Whatever you were saying is not as interesting as what that could possibly be. But we've become so conditioned to respond to the ding, the next notification, that so many of us, what do I even know how many times we stop being present to a human being so that we can respond to a ding. So people ask me all the time, well, Father Mark, you seem to be a little worried about the culture. I'm like, I don't know. Used to be human beings talk to each other. Now we talk to dings. I was concerned about it because I talked to dings. Then I took all the notifications off my phone. It doesn't ding anymore. Then I took half the apps off my phone. And then I said, what would it take for my phone to be a phone? And then I realized, wow, I couldn't answer that question. And now my entire life is in some way shaped by the fact that my phone can't simply be a phone. Are we present to each other? Are we listening to each other? Are we talking to each other? Are we listening to each other when we talk to each other? Do we know how to talk to each other? Which then it gets into our priorities. This, this first one, I, I've had to look deep inside the mirror and ask myself at several times in my own life. But why am I working so hard, really? I just offer that to those of you who, who work at a pace that's not, I think, what God had intended for humanity. Why are you working so hard? 
how much money needs to be in your account now and in your nest egg for you to feel comfortable enough to actually take a break and be present to the human beings that are right in front of you. I don't know what that figure is, but I just, I just offer that to those of you who are here. Because here's what I've learned. We're never going to get back your son's 15th year of being 15. We're never going to get back your two-year-old's year of being two. We can't ever go back and actually have the conversation with our wife that she wanted to have desperately that we blew her off on because we needed to watch something on fantasy football. And we can't go back and share our heart with our husband in that moment where he was actually listening to us because we were, we were resentful for that he never, fact, he never hears you. Like we can't, we can't go back and, and get the past back. It's gone forever. So the question for us is, what are we really, why are we working so hard? Here's one that's, that's tough to ask. It's tough to ask. But part of the attack is paralyzing us. Well, I'm not even going to ask. What are the consequences to materialism? What are the consequences? For some of us, God has just blessed you financially. Praise God. For some of us, God has blessed you with material possessions. Praise God. For some of us, it hasn't come so easy, and there's been a lot of consequences to trying to attain something. I'm not talking about the size of the house or the amount of money. Please, God, please hear me. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the drive, the consequences to attain something physical. Because we can never go back and relive those years. Relationships with human beings suffer because of pace and presence. Real human beings. Real human beings suffer because of the consequences of pace and presence. Many of you know, how do you kill a frog? Well, lots of different ways in South Louisiana. You go frogging, right? But if you take a frog and you put them in a big pot of cold water, and you just, you just, you just, I'm talking the slightest notch on the fire, that frog will stay in that pot until it's boiling and he dies. There is a desensitization of our soul the longer we stay in a boiling pot. So, for example, there used to be a day where we would be appalled and offended at what we see on television now. There was a day when we would be appalled and offended if we heard the lyrics and music these days. There's a day that we would be appalled and offended when we actually see the news, which is reported today, and the legislation that gets passed in our country this day. We'd be appalled and offended at that. But you don't kill a frog by throwing them into boiling water. You just slowly wear down his, sensi his sensitized soul. So what happens is the more that we get familiar with sin, the more that we get familiar with things that are, well, just everybody's saying that. I don't watch TV. Uh, it's, it's not healthy for me. I don't watch the news. That's not healthy for me. And so because I, I'm not, I don't swim in the world of, of social media a lot or I don't swim in the world of a lot of technology, like for me, it's jarring when I'm exposed to things that for some of us, it's just a part of life. The commercials that are on TV, whenever you have gone to bed and you're eight-year-olds watching TV or your 10-year-olds watching TV or they're just watching things on YouTube, right? Where the attack is, it's not with what's presented to us. The attack is the fact that we're no longer alarmed by it. We've become so familiar with the fact that the water's just kind of there that my concern is that we, we've lost sight of what sin is. 
what threatens your family and what's possible. And then there's order and order. My brothers and sisters, if this is not the priorities of your house, then tonight I would ask that you just ask why. Now, we may say, hey, well, Father Mark, my relationship with God is, is the most important thing. Well, let me ask you this. Look at your screen time and look at your prayer time and tell me who's winning. Our discipleship, it's the number one thing. Really, when's the last time that you defended God at work? Your discipleship is number one. Okay, if you can find a channel on TV at night when the lights are out because you know the remote that well, but you can't find the Gospel of Mark and the book of Leviticus in the Bible, like, here's the thing. Is, is being a disciple really the most important thing in our life? Really? Most important thing. Our marriage has to be number two. When's the last time we spent some time evaluating the health of our marriage? When's the last time we said, okay, I need to, I need to put aside other things so I can work on my marriage? Our family, our kids... If we, right, I said this to the guys on Monday, if we are so familiar with what happened at work and what's happening in the life of the person I work with, and you don't have that same level of familiarity with what's happening in your kids' lives, there's a problem. Right, so here's the thing. When all this is off, then this is off. And this is what I think is attacking families right here where the attack is in families is, is this the order that's really there? So here's God's response. Here's an invitation for all of us. Here's how we can combat the attack. Number one, can you evaluate the health of your marriage and family? I'm talking take it seriously. Many of you are in professional circles where you actually have done some type of professional evaluation. Many of us have had some conversations about like your, your professional goals. When's the last time you did the same thing with your marriage? When's the last time you took a long, loving assessment of, okay, how's my marriage? What would it take for me to be a better husband? What would it take for me to be a better wife? What would it take for me to be a better parent? And how are each of my kids doing? The first thing I would beg us to do tonight is to evaluate the health of your marriage and your family. Now, I say that knowing, and I say this with great love, that many of us who are here and many of us who are watching, that's going to probably be the hardest thing. Because for a man to look deep inside his heart and, and to admit that he's not the husband that he needs to be because he wants to be the husband that he wants to be, that can be a difficult challenge for a guy. The same thing for a wife, for her to look inside her heart and ask her, is she still the wife who's giving the way she gave when she first got married or believes in her marriage the way she did when she first got married, right? This can be a very difficult process for us. But let me just ask you, would your life be better or worse if we were constantly evaluating the health of our marriage and family? And please, God, we would do that with God because he wants us to be successful more than anything else. Amen? All right, number two. Examine your priorities. And here's how I would encourage you to examine them. I would ask that for those of us who can remember, ask yourself, is that the order? And then ask your spouse to answer the same thing and ask your kids to give you their response. Because sometimes the truth is going to be revealed to us, not in the way that we answer this question, but the way that other people answer this question. But if we want to strengthen our families and protect our families, the first thing that we can do is evaluate the health of our marriage and then examine our priorities. Number three, to exercise intentionality, courage, and accountability. 
for some of us, we might have to make changes inside our families. And the only way that change is going to happen is, I believe, if we are intentional about the change. If we have the courage to actually admit what needs to change, and if we have someone holding us accountable to that. Number four, tough one here. But can you reclaim possession of your family? Now, here's the minimum. If people have screens at the table tonight, you need to go home and immediately get rid of that. As a priest of Jesus Christ, I'm going to say something bold. God does not want screens on tables. I've searched the Bible high and low, and it does not say that anywhere in there. Jesus got to the Last Supper and says, all right, boys, pick up the phones. Okay. I've got a great married couple who I love dearly, and they have a basket. And at 8 p.m., all the phones in the house go in the basket. All the TVs are off, and they spend the last hours of the day with no screens. For some of us, this is going to be the hard one. I can't tell you the impact that it's made in their marriage, but can you just eliminate the screens? To rediscover how to be with each other, right? To experiment with different ways to be in relationship with each other. This might mean that you can, it's, it can be awkward to talk to your sons and your daughters and awkward to talk to your wife or your husband. Well, hang in there in the awkward because God's with us in the process. Let's take a look at these five things right now. Evaluate the health of your marriage and family. Examine your priorities. Be intentional about what needs to change. Eliminate screens when they're not necessary. And experiment in relationship. Do you think your marriage would be better or worse if you were doing all these? Do you think that your, your families would be stronger, right? But the attack is when we in the exhaustion of life, say, ah, there's no other way to be. Yes, there is. There's another way. And I am on behalf of God tonight begging you as a priest of Jesus Christ inside your families to take control of your family all over again on behalf of him. Your kids are fighting are longing for you to fight for your family. Your wife is longing for you to fight for her. Your husband is longing for, for, for you to fight for him. But it requires for us to make a decision tonight as to how much do we want our families to be healthy. So I invite you to close your eyes with me right now, just for a second. Just close your eyes. What's the Lord saying to you right now? Let's close your eyes. Where did he get your attention? Where did he convict you? Where do you feel the most uncomfortable? Where do you feel the greatest longing? Just keep your eyes closed. What kind of family do you want? What kind of marriage do you want? If you could ask God for anything tonight, what would you long for in your marriage and in your family? And you have the courage tonight to ask for that. For some of us, there may be a grief of what's not there. And can you, can you just be honest with that? And can you bring that to God tonight? I want you to think about the people in your family right now. Just let their faces come in front of you right now. Are they worth fighting for?
some of you, God is asking you to evaluate the health of your marriage. And if that's where God's asking you to, to go tonight, then please, God, do you have the courage tonight to evaluate the health of your marriage and family? For some of us tonight, God's asking you to examine your priorities and to have the courage to not be afraid to ask other people about those priorities. And if that's where you are, then please, God, that you would have the courage tonight to examine your priorities. For some of us tonight, God's just asking you to look deep inside your heart and ask yourself, do you have the courage to change where you need a change? Just keep your eyes closed. I want you to imagine what your marriage and your family would look like if you made some pretty significant changes. Think about like two years from now or a year from now. Just imagine this time next Lent, if you made some conscientious changes, what could your marriage look like? What do you want it to look like? If you could believe in miracles, what do you want it to look like? A year from now, what do you, if you could dream about your marriage, what would you want it to look like? about that right now. I want you to think about that not happening because we said no tonight. Imagine that God was ready to give that to you, but it didn't happen because you said no tonight. Ah, oh, it's too hard. There's not another way. What's at stake tonight? Take a couple seconds, look deep inside your heart. Let's prepare for adoration. Let's prepare for prayer. Let's prepare for the Lord to speak to us tonight about the health of our marriage and families. with our previous nights for the mic is going to expose the blessed sacrament for us because the rest of the night's a conversation between you and the Lord and as with other nights if you want to kneel you can kneel if you want to sit you can sit if you want to stand you can stand we will not have a procession tonight but we will have moments where we're going to ask men and fathers and women and wives and mothers and to stand and to respond. So we'll let you know how things go there, but let's be open to a conversation between you and Jesus about the health of our marriage and family. Yes. 
Lord Jesus, we love you. And we believe that as we behold you, you are beholding us. We believe that as you look at us tonight through the Blessed Sacrament, that your eyes are drawing us into a conversation about our families. We are reminded tonight, Lord, that you trusted us with people. You're the one who gave us our spouse, and you're the one who gave us our kids. You entrusted us with them. And we come before you tonight asking that you would help us. Lord, where we need to repent, we repent. Where we need help, we ask for help. Where we need to surrender, we surrender. But we know we can't do this alone. And so we beg you tonight, Lord, to speak to us as only you can. Give us the courage that we need to listen. Give us the courage that we need to, to be honest. And give us the grace we need to listen to your voice tonight. Speak to us. Speak to us, O oh Lord for your servants are listening.